0: Uh, but I do love these songs, uh, and that's a beautiful one, and I appreciate uh, the ladies putting that together uh, for today. Uh, Luke chapter two is where we're going to be, uh, Luke chapter two. And uh, we're going to look in verses one through seven. and in particular, verse number seven is going to be our focus um, for the launching uh, point uh, for this message. Uh, Luke chapter number two, and we'll read verses one through seven. And if you're able to stand, uh, I invite you to do so as we read uh, this very familiar passage that probably we've heard multiple times over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, but uh, we'll look at it one more time again uh, today. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1 says, And it came to pass in those days. Does it feel like that there's like. It's the wolfer. It's the wolfer. It's the wolfer. Let's unplug that, that wolfer if you don't mind trying to figure out how to do that, because I feel like there's going to be an explosion. (laughs) Like there's all these explosions happening around me. Um, Luke chapter 2, okay, let's try it again. I'm like, and it came, like God is speaking, you know. (laughs) Amen, man, this is coming with some authority and some power. Um, All right, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid them in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Our Father, we're thankful for the service that we've already uh, enjoyed, and the music, and the, the songs, and the fellowship, really, that we've enjoyed as well. Uh, but Lord, now as we turn our attention to Your Word and to um, Your will for our life, I pray that uh, You would help us to have an open heart to what You'd have for us today, and Help us to have a willingness to not just be good hearers, but then uh, to apply the truth, to be good doers of the Word. And uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, draw us all closer to you as a result and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As I have been this last month like you, uh, considering the Christmas story, uh, there are a lot of wonderful words in the Christmas story, words like Joy. rejoice, Uh, the word peace, Uh, the phrase goodwill, Uh, the word savior, the word glory. Uh, But in the midst of all of the great words, there is one word that sadly sticks out like a sore thumb in the Christmas story. The saddest word in all of the Christmas story is found in the passage we just read And uh, in verse number 7, it's a small word consisting of only two letters. It's located just between the words was and the word room. What's that sad word? It's the word no. You see, when Joseph and Mary were seeking a place to stay there in Bethlehem to give birth to the Son of God, for one reason or another, all of the rooms in the inn were taken. Now, I suspect this was due to the census and that many other travelers had to get to Bethlehem, and, and they got there before Mary and Joseph. Um, as I was thinking about that, I remember when Julie was great with child, and every time we had to go somewhere or do something, she didn't travel as fast as she did when she wasn't pregnant. Um, she kind of, you know, waddled. <laughs> that Hopefully, I'm not going to be in trouble for saying that, but... Um, but, but when you're great with child, I mean, it's not like you can go and sprint anywhere. Um, that's not a time to be doing that. Um, and so Mary, I'm sure, wasn't moving as maybe fast as Joseph was hoping she would move. Like, hey, Mary, we got to get to Bethlehem, and if we don't get there pretty soon, they're going to run out of spaces in the end. And, and she was like, yeah, but uh, check this out. And uh, in this case, she couldn't blame him for it. <laughs> it wasn't Joseph's fault. Um, it was the, just the fact that she was pregnant uh, with the uh, Holy Son of God. And well, so they probably got to Bethlehem, and they were a little late to the party there, and as a result, um, there were no rooms available for them. And uh, just like nowadays, the early bird gets the worm, and so the first one to Bethlehem, first ones to they got to Bethlehem, got the rooms. Um, and so there was no room for them in the inn. And the Bible doesn't really give a lot of detail, of course, about the innkeeper or the conversation that uh, transpired between he and Joseph that night. Um, I suspect that the innkeeper was literally just doing his job and saying, I'm sorry, random young couple, uh, there's no available rooms for you. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but there's no room. And so maybe he pointed over to some caves and said, "Hey, there's uh, there's some shelter over there if you're interested." Um, that, but that's about all I can tell you because all these other rooms are taken. Um, and I doubt he really understood the gravity of that seeming routine encounter with some random young couple. And yet the fact remains: when asked if there was room for Jesus, he said the word no. There's no room. And uh, while I don't want to spend this message to this, this morning uh, giving the stranger innkeeper a hard time because I believe he was limited in his knowledge of who was actually in the womb of Mary that night. I mean, maybe Joseph tried to explain the story and he was like, yeah, that's a great, fantastic story, but I'm sorry, there's still no room. But here's the deal, 2,000 years later, you and I who are in this room today know who was about to be born in the world. We know that Mary was about to give birth to the Savior of the world, and yet, despite our knowledge of who Jesus is, uh, we have a decision to make regarding Christ. See, in reality, all of us, each of us, is an innkeeper who decides if there is room for Jesus in our lives. And while the innkeeper didn't really understand the gravity of that moment, you and I hopefully have a better grasp as to how important this decision really is. And uh, so, look, while the Lord desires to be just that, Lord, over every area of our lives, there are five areas that I want to focus in on this morning, and uh, five areas in which He wants to have room and access to in our lives. So what areas are we to make room for Christ in? And we're again, all of us are very much like an innkeeper saying, yes, you can have access or no, there's no room for you in that part of my life. What, 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 what areas are we going to be looking at this morning? Well, let's notice number one here. We need to make room for Christ, for Jesus in your heart, in your heart. Um, A lot of us know a lot about Jesus, but there's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Uh, You might might say, well, I know a lot about a certain celebrity or certain political figure. Well, great, but do you know them personally? And there's a big difference between knowing about and knowing personally. The Pharisees, they had uh, tremendous faith, of course, uh, and they knew about Jesus, but they failed to make room for Jesus in their hearts. You see, they got to encounter Jesus, they got to see him actually perform miracles right before their very eyes. And yet, they knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. A big difference. There's a good number of people today who know about the Lord Jesus but they have failed to make room in their heart for him. And as a result, there's a lot of people who miss heaven by about 18 inches. You see they have a lot of facts and figures about Jesus that maybe they learned when they were younger or maybe they've researched and maybe read some of the Bible and so they know how, they have some head knowledge but but they don't have the heart knowledge. They don't know Him in His in their heart, and so they miss heaven by about eighteen inches. Uh, because see, it's not about how much we know about Christ; it's whether we know Him or not. Is the big deal. I was uh, thinking about this uh, aspect, and I my mind got came to the the Book of Acts as the Apostle Paul is. Um, trying to talk with uh, one of the kings there, King Agrippa. And he, he goes through and explains his salvation testimony, how he became a Christian, how he didn't just know about Christ, but that day that he uh, believed on him in his heart, that, that day. And so he went through his salvation testimony, and, and uh, at the end of his appeal, uh, Paul says this, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And then Agrippa sadly says to the Apostle Paul, he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. (laughs) What a sad statement. King Agrippa is listening to the Apostle Paul share his salvation testimony and say, Hey, here's how it went from my head to my heart. I made room for Jesus in my heart. Will you do the same, King Agrippa? And he said, You know what? You almost got but I, you didn't. I think that uh, that's a very sad statement. I think there's a lot of people who almost are persuaded to become a Christian, but they fail to make room in their heart for Jesus. Look, has there been ever a time in your life when you believed on the Lord Jesus with your head and your heart, most importantly? See, there's a God-shaped void in every heart that people uh, sadly try to fill with everything under the sun except for Jesus. They look to drugs, they look to money, they look to popularity and to fame and all the things that this world may have to offer to try to fill that God-shaped void. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's like putting a, uh, a round peg in a square hole or however you say that statement. It's not going to fit. Only Jesus can fill that void and meet that need that all of us have. One of the most beloved Christmas songs was written by a man named Isaac Watts. In the song that we sung this morning, Joy to the World, the first stanza says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let Earth receive her king. And then the next statement in that verse says, Let every heart prepare him room. Uh, Let every one of us as innkeepers say, Lord, there's room in my heart for you. I'm going to make room for you in my heart. I'm not going to look to the world to try to fill this void that I, only, that I know only you can fill. There's another uh, song in our hymnal. The song name is Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. And the song goes, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem, Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Has there been a time in your life when you've said those words to the Lord or said something to that effect? Said, hey, there's room in my heart for you. I'm not going to try to crowd you out of my heart. I'm going to let you in. There was uh, another story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 8. Uh, this is uh, the, one of the deacons in that first church uh, named uh, Philip. And uh, he was called by the Lord to go to the Holy Spirit, to, to go to a, a man who was reading the scriptures. And so he comes to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and, and begins to witness to him from the word of God and explain who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did for us. And then as they continue their conversation, they came to a certain uh, water, the Bible says, and the eunuch said, hey, here's a bunch of water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Can I get baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So this eunuch was wanting to get baptized, but But Philip said, first things first, we need to make sure that you believe with all your heart. You believe you've made room in your heart for Jesus. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, yes, I've made room in my heart for him. Have you made room in your heart for Jesus? If not, I would encourage you to make that decision today. But that's not the only area in which we need to make room for Christ in. First, we need to make room in our heart for Christ, but then second, we need to make room for Jesus in our schedule. I realize many of us are busy. But my friend, if we are too busy to spend time with God, we are too busy and need to drop some things, and need to adjust our schedule. If there's no time for the Lord, and there's no room for Him in our schedule, then we're too busy. I was thinking about this thought, and, and my mind went to um, the, uh, the story of Mary and Martha with Jesus in the home. And we find Mary sitting at the feet of Christ, listening to his word. But Martha was very busy, cumbered about with much serving, the Bible says. And she was too busy to sit down and listen to the word of God. She was too busy for Jesus. And he was right there in the house with her. But she was too busy for him. Very, very, it's very possible for each of us as believers to get too busy To spend time with Jesus. Um, It has been said that someone could read through the Bible in 60 hours if they were to go from start to finish without stopping. (coughs) 60 hours. I'm not suggesting that you do that in one sitting, although go for it if the Lord should compel you to do that. But here's the deal: if you were to take those 60 hours and spread it out over the course of a year, that equals to just under 10 minutes a day that you could read through the Bible. I realize if we talk about spending time with God, we go, "I just can't. There's no time. I've got work. I've got family. I've got this. I've got that. I got that appointment and that commitment." I I understand. I'm not saying you need all those things are wrong, but if you can't find 10 minutes, to spend time in God's love letter to you? Where are your priorities? And where are mine? Look, make room for Jesus in your schedule. We should never be too busy to spend time with God each day and to make faithfulness to the local church a priority in our weekly schedule as well. What I'm saying to you is don't be a Laodicea Christian. What does that mean? Well, the church in Laodicea in the, in the book of Revelation was chided for the fact that they had everything going for them. And, and they thought, man, I have need of nothing. I've got all my needs taken care of and then some. Well, the problem was they got so busy that they neglected the one who mattered most. And so as a result, Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking on the door saying, excuse me, excuse um, me. You, you've got room for me? Uh, no, 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 we, we don't have room for you because we've got so many other things we have going in our life. We've got it all. Except for they didn't have the very most important one of all, the Lord Jesus. Um, there are a lot of Laodicea Christians where we have everything we could ever want, but we don't have the Lord's presence in our life. Oh, I... Okay, okay. Let me back up and say, theologically, that's not correct. If Once we're saved, we're always saved. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. But, but if we don't have time for Christ, and He gets pushed to the back burner, and He gets pushed outside, I'm afraid that many times the Lord is knocking on the door saying, excuse me, would you let me back into your life? Yes, I saved you, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but where am I in your schedule? Do I matter to you enough to spend some time with me each day and to make church a priority because I gave my life for the church? Can you not spend some time going to church? And I know I'm talking to people who are here this morning and and, uh, I'm not preaching against the people who aren't because I realize that many of them are with family and, and this is a time of year when that happens. I get that. I understand that. However... Are we willing to make that a priority in our regular schedule throughout the year? Don't be a Laodicea Christian. Make room in your schedule for Jesus. Does He deserve to be in that schedule? Yes, He does. He wants to be the Lord of our life in every area, including how we manage our time. And so, make room for Jesus in your schedule. Thirdly, I would encourage us to make room for Jesus in our homes, in our homes. As I was thinking about that, I thought of two, two uh, men in the Old Testament, both in the book of Genesis. I think of a man by the name of Lot. Lot reminds me of American Christianity, where, hey, I've, I'm saved. I'm saved. But, but now it's time for me to go live my life my way. Now it's time for me to experience the American dream. And if it means pushing Christ to the back burner in my home, so be it. Because after all, I mean, doesn't he want us to be healthy, happy, and wise? Wealthy, healthy, healthy, and wise? Doesn't he want us to be like that? So, I mean, sure he'll understand if we want to move to Sodom because, I mean, the financial opportunities are amazing. Uh, Wouldn't he want me to spend time with the men of the city and rub shoulders with them? And as a result, Christ is pushed outside the home. And as a result, Lot ended up losing his children and wife in the process. I mean, his wife was so enamored and got so connected with Sodom and the culture there that when it was time to leave, we all know the story, how she turned around and she instantly became a pillar of salt. Well, okay, well, you say he got his daughters out. Yeah, well, if you continue reading the story after they exited Sodom, uh, his daughters were not exactly very godly individuals. And so while he got them out of Sodom, he wasn't able to get Sodom out of them. What happened? Where was the breakdown? What, what, what can we boil it down to? And, and, and certainly it's more complicated than this, but we can basically say this. Lot failed to make room in his home for Jesus. Having financial success and having, fitting in with the culture there and, and uh, moving up in society, that was the priority, not Christ. As a result, he ended up losing his family, really, altogether. You compare him with another man in the Book of Genesis, a man by the name of Noah. Now, Noah, he may not have been the most popular guy in town. In fact, he was he was well known, but for being a little, woo-hoo, a little uh, different, shall we say. Yeah, did you see Noah, what he's doing today? Yeah, he's a little weird. Yeah, he wasn't the most popular, he wasn't the most revered person in town, but he made room in his home for Jesus. And when it came down to it, guess who ended up being saved? Yes, all those in his home. So... I'm saying to you, don't chase the things of this world as parents. Chase the Lord. Make room for Him in your home. Make Him prominent. Make Him preeminent in your home. So do you have room in your home for Christ, or are you too busy with work, sports, hobbies, fun to have time for the Lord? I'm not saying work, sports, hobbies, fun is wrong. But if we're so focused on those, and those become the priority, and the things of God get pushed on the back burner, and those are, if we have time for, we'll do those. See, it's a matter of priority in our life, and I want to encourage all of us, all of us, to make room in our homes for Christ. Are we in our homes too busy to teach the Scriptures to your children? If that's the case, then you're too busy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. He's talking about the words of God, the scriptures, the Bible, the law of God. Uh, And then he says, And thou shalt teach them unto thy children. And thou shalt teach them unto thy children. Actually, I left out a word. And thou shalt teach them blank unto thy children. Anybody know what that blank is? Diligently, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Look, if we're going to teach our children diligently the things of God and the Word of God, that requires some priority. That requires making room in our home for Jesus. That that, that requires some effort. It's not going to just happen by, uh, oh, I'll just bring them to church on Sundays. Well, I'm glad that you are, and that's good. But that's not enough. You've got to be teaching them diligently unto thy children. And if you're too busy to do that, uh, I'm going to, you know, faithful of the wounds of a friend, the Bible says in Proverbs. I'm going to be your friend today and say, look, if you're too busy to do that, you're too busy. You need to adjust your schedule. Oh, if I, if I talk to my boss, I mean, I understand. I'm, I'm not trying to get into all that, but I'm trying to preach the Bible to you, trying to be your friend, trying to help your family make it, to be like Noah's family instead of like Lot's family. Uh, if you're too busy to be faithful to church and to be involved in serving the Lord in that local church, if you're too busy to do that, then, then you're too busy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 uh, simply says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It doesn't say not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together unless you're really, really busy. And, and I get things come up. I get that. However, uh, there needs to be a pattern of faithfulness in each believer to the house of God, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Yeah, there are some who are forsaking the assembling, but we don't need to be like them. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, friend, the day of Christ is coming soon. It's, it's approaching, we're getting close, and so as we get closer to that, we are to be more and more faithful, not less and less. Perhaps you've seen the saying in someone's home, maybe on a sign, and uh, we don't have it in our home, although it it would be good to have. And it's a saying that says, Christ is the head of the home, the unseen guest at every meal, and the silent listener to every conversation. And to remember the fact that Jesus is there, Hopefully that would remind us to make room for him in our homes. So make room for Jesus in your heart. Make room for Jesus in your schedule. Make room for Jesus in your home. And then fourthly, make room for Jesus in your finances. Oof. Can we just skip this one? I would like to. But it's in the Bible. Godfrey J- Davis, who wrote a biography about the Duke of Wellington, Will- said this. He said, I found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than the reading of his letters or speeches. If you want to find out what's important to each of us, then look at our calendars and how we spend our time And then look at our bank accounts and how we spend our money. That really determines what's really important to us. See, how we handle money reveals much about our depth of our commitment to Christ. That's why Jesus often talked about money. In fact, one-sixth of the Gospels. Including one out of every three parables. So 33% of all the parables that Jesus taught touches on this matter of stewardship. Jesus wasn't a fundraiser, but he dealt with money matters because money matters. And for some of us, uh, it matters too much. So as you plan your budget for this coming year, be sure to not only give Christ room in your budget, but give him first place. Remember, it was God who gave you the job, the experience, and the health to earn the money in the first place. A lot of times we think, well, I earned the money. Why does God have to get some of it? Uh, Because God was the one who gave you the job and the ability to earn the money in the first place. Um, So the first check every believer should write each week or month is to the Lord's work. And I realize some of you are going, yeah, I don't write checks anymore. There's a growing number of people who are like that. I get that. But the first bill and it's not a bill that you pay at all it's it's something that you give and cheerfully give to the lord's work some would say you know what i can't i just i just can't give i mean things are really tight I, i can't really afford to tithe right now and to give to the lord's work may i say humbly and kindly to you as someone who's been there in tight times You really can't afford not to give. When you consider all the promises in the word of God for those who give, it just doesn't make logical sense to not give and to avail yourself to the promises in the Bible. Such uh, promises like, give and it shall be given unto you. And I'm not saying, look, you give $100 in the offering, God's going to give you $100 back. God gives us in different ways than financially. And many times he does bless financially, but he blesses in other ways. And and, and how he does it is his business. But here, give and it shall be given unto you. Or how about this one? Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open to you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall uh, not be room enough to receive it. How many of you want a blessing from God that you're like, man, what am I going to do? This is such a huge blessing. I don't know where to put it. That's the type of blessing that God promises for those who give. And again, it may not be material goods. It may be something totally different that are more important than money anyway. And what about this promise uh, found in Proverbs chapter 3? Honor the Lord with thy substance and with all, the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Um, God says, look, you give to me, I'm going to give to you in abundance where you're going to be like, it's going to be overflowing. Look, these are just a sampling of the promises God has given us in our work. So you really can't afford not to give. I mean, it makes logical sense to, by faith, give even when you feel like the funds are not there. Trust the Lord. Uh, he says, "Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. You cannot really afford to not make room for Jesus in your finances. So make room for Jesus in your finances. And then number five, last thought here: Make room for Jesus in your future. Make room for Jesus in your future. In Luke chapter number 12, uh, Jesus sh- shares a parable. It says, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pour down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods, and laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here was a man who, as he thought about his future, he only thought about himself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to live it up and just have, I'm just going to take it easy for the rest of my life. And all he wanted to do uh, revolved around himself. When I was a youth pastor, I spent 15 years as a youth pastor in California, and I used to ask teenagers at the beginning of our ministry this question. I would, uh, as they considered their future, I I used to ask them, so what do you want to do with your life? And then as I began to grow and uh, develop as a youth pastor, I thought that's a really self-centered question to ask. And so I switched it up and changed it. And so I changed the question to, what does God want you to do with your life? To help them think, hey, it's not just about me living for me and me living my life the way I want to live it, but recognizing the fact that, hey, as a believer, God has a desire for my future as well, and I need to consider him and to make room in my future for Christ. See, too many teenagers are looking to be successful in the world's eyes. I mean, many teenagers are looking to get a good education after high school, Uh, maybe find a spouse, get a good high-paying job, make tons of money, and hopefully have a good family too, and get a lot of toys, and just enjoy life. That's their definition of success. And most never even consider serving the Lord with their lives. Don't get me wrong, I don't believe every teenager from our church needs to go to Bible college and go into the ministry. However, I think if teenagers in our church don't ever consider the Lord in their planning for their future, that's a mistake. And what I'm encouraging all the teenagers in our church, and I realize some of them aren't here this morning, but um, to make room in your future for Christ. Look, there is a uh, religious group in America and really around the world, who encourages all of their uh, young people who, when they graduate from high school, to give two years of their life to go and be <coughs> missionaries, spreading lies that are damning people to hell. The Mormons send out these young people in places all over the world and these young people are willing to go give two years of their life to spreading these um, blasphemous heresy and teenagers today christian teenagers are like oh no, no i i could never go into the ministry i mean i i've got big plans man Again, I'm not trying to squelch or squash any dreams that you may have, but at the same time, what I'm encouraging you to do, teenagers, is to make room for Jesus in your future. Um, I, there's a lot of teenagers who have the mentality, this is, this is my life, I, I can do what I want. Look, those of us who are saved have been bought with a price. I, I need to live for me. No, no, Paul said in second Corinthians chapter five, he says, In that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Where are the teenagers who would say like Isaiah, like, Hey, please, Lord, here am I? Would you please send me? A lot of teenagers are like, I could never do that. I don't I I I I don't ever want to do that. Look. I'm not going to be around forever. I played hockey uh, last Sunday night after church with many of you, and my body is still feeling the effects of that. I'm old, and I'm getting older. And one day, really every pastor is an interim pastor, not going to be here forever. Who's going to take my place? Who's going to take Brother Randy's place? There are missionaries that we support who have retired and have passed away. And I got another letter this week of somebody resigning and coming off the field. Who's going to take their places? Where are the young people who are going to say, Lord, hear my send me? I want to make room in my future for Christ. Whatever happened to this Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Remember that song? Well, yeah, I owe him all, but my future belongs to me. Uh, he, who's the one who gave you life in the first place, teenager? Where is the mentality among Christian teenagers today that would say, Lord, if you want me to serve you, it would be my honor, my privilege to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords? I'm not saying everybody needs to be in the ministry because, look, this church not everybody is in full-time ministry. I realize that. Um, but but let's at least consider it. Let's make room in our future for Christ. Now, I know I've been speaking to the few young people that are here today, but the, but look, the same goes for all of us who are a little bit further down the road. Just because we may not... And I'm not talking about going into full-time ministry here. I'm talking about uh, considering our future and and making room in our future for Christ and not just saying, well, here's my plan. Uh, You might want to consult the Lord before you go off and doing what you want to do. Seek the Lord for your future. So make room for Christ in your future. Well, some might say uh, this morning, Pastor, great thoughts about making room for Christ today. I see what you did there. Using the Christmas story, I see what you did there. Good job. But why? Why should I make room, really, for Christ in my heart? Why should I make room for Christ in my schedule? Why should I make room for Jesus in my home and in my finances and in my future? Why? Well, there's a lot of good reasons I could give you today, and I've given you some, but, but the only one I really need to give you is this reason. Like, why should I make room for Christ? Because He made room for you. Didn't He? What I'm encouraging you to do this morning as a sinner, as someone who doesn't deserve God's presence and have God come in and, and dwell with you, To invite him to come in and make room for him. But what's even more mind-boggling is that the Lord of glory, the Holy One, said, You know what? There's room for you, sinner. There's room for you, wicked one. And that's all of us. That God would make room for me. Remember the words of our Savior in John chapter 14? He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm making a room for you, and there's room for you. Pretty wonderful. There's another song in our hymnal. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide, and its grace so free is sufficient for me, and deep it's its fountains as wide as the sea. And praise the Lord, there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Why should I make room for Christ in my heart, in my schedule, in my home, my finances, my future? Why? Because He made room for me. And uh, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, look, praise the Lord. Yes, many of us have come, but uh, there's still room for one. There's room for you today. Would you come and be saved? And for those of us who have, let's not crowd the Lord Jesus out like Martha did or the church at Laodicea did. Uh, Let's make sure that the Lord has first and preeminent place in our lives, in the areas we've mentioned and in others as well, that perhaps the Lord has spoken to you about. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here today, to be encouraged to make room for you in our lives And Lord, we'll forever be grateful for the fact that you made room for us. You didn't have to do that. Lord, we're sinners. We don't deserve it. And yet, you loved us and you did anyway. And so, Lord, as a result, help us to be willing to make room for you in our schedule. Help us, Lord, to spend time with you. Help us to make church a real priority in our homes and in our families and in our individual lives. Help us, Lord, in our homes to make room for you to teach the Scriptures to our children diligently. Lord, I pray that uh, you would also help us in our finances. uh, Lord, to remember to give the first part of our income back to you as a gift of thanks and as a uh, trust in the promises of God. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you and make room for you in our future. Help us, Lord, to not just have our whole life mapped out, but, Lord, to allow you to lead and to guide and direct and to have your perfect will accomplished in each of our lives. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to uh, play this uh, first verse of this song. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision right there in your seat as she plays.